Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. In a story that comes out of the Sufi tradition, Rabia, who is both a mystic and a saint, is seen running through the streets of her hometown of Basra. As she sprints, she is said to be carrying a torch in one hand and a bucket of water in the other. When someone stops and asks her what she is doing, Rabia answers, I am going to take this bucket of water and pour it on the flames of hell. And then I'm going to use this torch to burn down the gates of paradise so that people will not love God for want of heaven or fear of hell, but because he is God. What is my motivation? Which voices are guiding me and why? What is driving me to God to a holy encounter today? These are the questions for the morning. Beloved in Christ, it is good to be with you as we celebrate the feast of St. James, a much adored character of the scriptures and the patron saint of our church. However, as we remember James, not least because he was an apostle and martyr, or because his fiery zeal earned him a thunderous reputation. I think, I think so too, it is also well that we should remember James because he was flawed and made mistakes and often struggled in his attempts to follow Christ. In short, it is good to recall that in many ways, James was just like each of us. Illustrating this theme, today's gospel passage from Matthew shows the early followers of Jesus, James included, exercising the full range of the human condition. They are mischievous, a bit self-involved, confused, angry, assenting, full of hope, and yet doomed to fail again. However, one thing that is not quite clear as we read the various accounts of this story, is who exactly makes the initial request. For example, in Mark's gospel, it is not the mother who approaches Jesus, but James and John themselves. In fact, before they even get to picking their seats in glory, they first ask for something even bigger. When they begin the conversation, their opening line is, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Like spoiled children and naming one audacious request after another, they come looking for what is essentially a blank check. Imagining the kingdom that is yet to come, they want to sit on God's left and right side. They want reserved seats in his throne room. Although, regardless of who it was that started the conversation, in both accounts, it seems pretty likely 
that James, together with his brother, was caught out, embarrassingly jockeying for the wrong kind of greatness. A request that is drenched in irony when we reflect on the status reversal Christ foretold only moments before. Yet, as is often the case, as is often the case, Jesus redirects the conversation because he senses rightly that the disciples are knee-deep in their own unknowing. To put it one way, James and John are so intoxicated with the prospect of Christ's resurrection that they forget about the cross. They are so taken with the hope of a more glorious tomorrow that they lose sight of Golgotha, the place of the skull, and the rough road of today. Surveying the breadth of their misunderstanding, Jesus meets their worldly hunger and ambition with an inquiring heart. Like a patient and loving parent, he transforms this scene into a teachable moment. Prodding them figuratively, he asks James and John, are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? Put another way, the cup is a metaphor for one's portion in life. It is a way of referencing the true cost of discipleship, of asking plainly if they are prepared to accept the full demands of the ask, a wine that is both bitter and sweet. When Jesus speaks of the journey that is yet to come, he wants to know if they will still follow him, even when it seems like the water is over their heads. He wants to reframe our conceptions of glory and usher in a new definition of greatness. Although amidst this fearsome backdrop, when it is hard to imagine how the emotional stakes could get any higher, the passage ends with a breathtaking promise from Jesus the Christ. In a profound act of love, he will pour out his soul even till death, showing that service to others is synonymous with service to God. In reflecting on this text, it is significant in my view that Jesus and the disciples are coming to this conversation from two very different places. While James and the others do eventually grow from this moment, I think the mindset our patron occupies in today's gospel is worth stepping into. Reflecting on this story in light of my own living, I know, I know there have been many times when I myself have been no better. Searching for glory on the world's terms and not on God's. I have run from fears, worries, and dark nights of my own making. And I have admired and mistakenly sought the wrong kinds of rewards. Again, the words of Rabia. I am going to take this bucket of water and pour it on the flames of hell. And then I am going to use this torch to burn down the gates of paradise so that people will not love God for want of heaven or fear of hell, but because he is God. I began with this story because I think both it and our gospel passage contain the same haunting questions. What is my motivation? Which voices are guiding me? 
What is driving me to God to a holy encounter today? As I said, I think Jesus and the disciples are coming to this conversation from two very different places. In stark contrast to James and John, whose minds are awash with the majesty of far off things, Jesus seems much more focused on the reality of the present. There are difficult days ahead. However, it strikes me that when he asked them, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? But this is not just a reality check. Instead, what I think is going on here is an invitation into reciprocity. Rather than acting out of fear or pursuing self-interest, Jesus is once again offering the disciples a chance to return love in their relationship. As Father Pedro Arupe describes it, nothing, nothing is more practical than finding God than falling in love in a quite final and absolute way. He continues by noting that what you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. He says it will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. In the wake of today's gospel, I think God is inviting us to come to him with a greater cognizance of the deep, abiding affection that he meets us with in every moment. How great is that love? It is so great that it strung together the stars of the guy and sent rhythms through the ocean. It knit each of us together in the wombs of our mothers and knows that we are beautiful and marvelously made. It is a love that brings us blueberries and music and the colors of autumn. It is a love that is known to us in bread and wine and the most ordinary and extraordinary of things. It is a suffering servant, a servant who loves us so much that he would continue to pour out his soul for us even till the end, even to death on the hard wood of the cross. How do we come to our conversations with God? What motivates us? How do we return Christ's invitation? How do we begin to enter into reciprocity? How might we be servants too? It is my understanding that if we begin by working on our relationship with Jesus, then the rest will follow. It is my understanding that if we fall in love with God in a quite final and absolute way, that the outgrowth of that affection will overwhelm us to the point that we simply will not be able to keep it to ourselves. If we develop that kind of a relationship with God, then we will not be able to stop ourselves from giving food to the hungry and drink to the thirsty. If we develop that kind of a relationship with God, we won't think twice about welcoming the stranger or finding clothes for the naked. If we develop that kind of a relationship with God, then we will run without an ounce of hesitation to tend the sick, to comfort the sorrowful, and visit those who are in prison. 
if we develop that kind of a relationship with God, if we fall in love in a quite final and absolute way, then, then servanthood and true greatness will follow. Amen.